Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Any family with children will experience their fair share of toys throughout the years. However, being intentional in this area isn't as hard as it seems, and simple strategies can help foster diverse play experiences for children without filling our playroom with junk. Join me today as I talk with the founder of Tiny Earth Toys, Rachel Classy. She'll discuss scientific studies that discuss the benefits of minimal toys in the playroom, how the choices we make about what toys to buy impact our child's play and the environment, what we know about how the toy industry is playing a role in the plastic crisis, and tips for parents about how to take the power struggle out of gifting to align with your family values. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review on iTunes is the best way you can help this podcast succeed and grow. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. It's so fantastic to be here. I've been loving following your content. Oh, thank you. I am excited to have you here today to talk about sustainability in the playroom and how we can incorporate more toys that are sustainable in there. So I think that sometimes this can be really overwhelming to moms, but I can't wait to hear your advice and how we can make it a less daunting process. But before I'm jumping ahead of myself. So before we get into all of that, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. We'll get started. Fantastic. Well, my name is Rachel Classy. I'm the mom to two young daughters, and I'm the founder and CEO of Tiny Earth Toys, a subscription toy rental business. And I'm here based in Durham, North Carolina, where we are enjoying an unbelievably hot and muggy summer. I'm from the West Coast originally, so I, I love the dry heat. So, you know, we're we're in this funny spot of spending a lot of time indoors playing with nice air conditioning. I completely relate to that. I feel like I'm so much more of a hermit in the summer than I am the winter and fall months because you can always add more layers, but you can't take more off. I couldn't agree more. We, we finally have a pool and we're doing a lot of swimming and a a lot of nature walks in the morning. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I want to know a little bit about you and your personal journey here. What prompted you to start noticing that maybe the way that toys were being manufactured was a problem? Yeah. Well, my story starts at the start of the pandemic. I am one of the the statistics of women who left the workforce to care for my two young daughters. Our childcare evaporated. My husband and I were both working full time. We don't have a lot of uh, family support around us. So I had left my job. I was caring for my two daughters who at the time were one and three. And there were two things going on. And, and sometimes they were competing. The first was I was spending a lot of time and a lot of money thinking about, you know, how can I access high quality, high end products for my kids to play with and learn from, you know, I think everyone kind of put on this hat of, you know, homeschooler for a while. And granted, I had preschool age children, but I was thinking a lot about what was developmentally appropriate. So spending a ton of time and money, you know, only for a few months later, my kids to outgrow it. And it was really surprising to me, even, you know, I think having my second daughter, just how quickly she was, you know, she was grasping something and really ready for the next, you know, the next age appropriate thing. And, and I was just so much more present and aware because I was home, I was able to see what was happening. And then this second thing that we were facing that, 
I mentioned is sometimes in in conflict with that that first that first priority that, that we had was being present and aware. I was just noticing things, and I was noting noticing this constant cycle of plastic in and plastic out, and it, it was just making me feel sick. You know, we'd done so much in our lives, and I think there's a common narrative about removing single-use plastics, but we're kind of not looking at this massive amount of plastic that's coming in and out of our house. And Mm. some of those were gifts. Some of those are things we bought. Some of those were hand-me-downs, but it started to make me feel like there was a better way to to solve both of those problems. The time and money we were spending trying to get the right right age-appropriate educational toys. And then, you know, the, the anxiety we were feeling about like, what's happening with all of this plastic when we're done with it? I think about that a lot. There's one store in specific that I'm thinking of. They sell bulk, I guess it's party toys for a gift okay, bag. Yes. And I loved that stuff as a kid. I'm not going to lie. I did love my little finger monster, but yes. <laughs> I look at that stuff now and I'm just like, oh, this just goes usually straight into the garbage mm-hmm. within 24 hours or it's lost and then it's outside in nature. So I look at it so much differently than I used to. And I hate that because I don't necessarily want to be a Scrooge, but I, yeah. I even wrote about this in my book, just different ways that we can make that party bag at a party that it doesn't have to be these little toys and trinkets. But I would also outside of party bags, I would love to invest in toys that are really high quality that we can keep. And honestly, my 20 month old and my three-year-old can enjoy. So I, I like things like that too. And I yes. know that sometimes it's important to be uh, intentional, I guess, with development for those different age ranges. But I also think there's something to be said about toys that can run the gambit of ages. So let's talk about sustainability in the playroom. That's what you're here today to talk about. How do the choices we make about those toys impact our children's play and the environment? Yeah, there's there's some there's some research here that I found really fascinating as we were starting this company because my background is not in early childhood education, although I have mm-hmm. some phenomenal people on my team who have built their careers in early childhood education and We've done some um, great work with some researchers around this, and and there's just great published research. But you know, I, I think of what's happening in sustainability and minimalism generally in the playroom in a couple of ways. And the the first way that I think about it is what are the ways that it may benefit our child, and then what are the ways that it may benefit the environment. Mm-hmm. And the ways that it may benefit our child when we think of minimalism and sustainability are twofold. The first is when we minimize the number of toys present in a playroom. Research out of the University of Toledo has shown that when children are presented fewer options, they play longer and in more diverse ways with the toy. And I mean, some of that is obvious, right? Like if if there's 10 toys, then if if they only have four toys, they they have to play longer with them because there's only four. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interesting part is them playing in more um, progressive and more diverse ways. So they're going to spend more time figuring it out. They might take an open-ended set of blocks and they might, instead of just, you know, blocking them, building them up and knocking them down, they might use that then to make a path that they walk on. Um, and so that, that idea that having fewer toys present in a playroom can help impact how our children are learning and the amount of time that they spend focusing and concentrating, I think is a really, it's, it's a great thing for people who are on the pursuit of minimalism to consider, and to help themselves maybe feel good when they're doing a purge or when they are reducing the number of toys present. And then the second thing, you know, how how are the choices that we make in the playroom for what we bring in impacting the environment? I think a lot about materials. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, plastic isn't 
a terrible thing. We have plastic in our home. Some of our favorite toys are plastic, but in general, a lot of you know what what the toy industry would call open-ended toys, toys that can be used in an endless number of ways. A lot of those are wooden toys, and they're mm-hmm. the heirloom toys that our grandparents played with. These are yeah. wooden vehicles or wooden blocks or construction sets. Those open-ended toys are great for learning because they open the imagination and creativity, but they're generally products that can exist for generations to come as opposed to, you know, picking up. Everyone probably had that like plastic shape sorter, the plastic mm-hmm. shape sorter and the plastic xylophone, like everyone's got one, right? Well, the, there, are, there are wooden counterparts to that that don't go in the garbage can, that can can live on forever. So those are some of the things that we think about when we think about sustainability and minimalism, which go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this idea that you can, you can actually buy less, but buy higher quality and in a way impact both our child's learning and impact the environmental outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get to our next question, but I also, as you're saying that you still do have plastic in your household. And I think that's important to note because I think people can get really extreme, which again, it's really great to be passionate about something. I'm all for your passions are going to be different than mine, but we're doing good work together and in different areas. All that to say, I think that plastic wasn't a bad thing when it was invented and it took off. I'm thinking about, and I don't know if you remember this, but in it's a wonderful life. That movie, his friend wants him to come join him in plastics in New York city, but he stays back home. And I just, and he like looks back and he's like, dang it. Like I could have made so much money. But I think again, like there was goodness that could have come out of that. But then people I think got greedy and were like, Oh, we can manufacture this product for a lot cheaper, sell a lot more. And our production costs are down. So I think it just got really out of control. And I like that people are starting to notice that the environmental impact, but also like our toys don't last as long and they are kind of not is pretty to look at. I know that's more of an aesthetic Uh thing, but what more do you know about just the toy industry and their role in this plastic crisis? Yeah, this is where it gets really scary actually. And, and, you know, I, we, we do, we have, we have plastic toys. My most love, the most loved toy right now is an animal figurine set that we were gifted for my older daughter's birthday. And that'll be around for a long time. It's such a fun set, but the stats go that 90% of children's toys are made of plastic. They're used on average for less than six months before 80% of them make their way into landfills, incinerators, or the ocean. So it's this cycle, right? You're bringing in the majority of toys are plastic. You're going to use them for a little bit of time and then they're tossed. And there's mm-hmm. this, there's this other piece of that equation. So that, that alone is like, wow, that's scary. But this other piece of it that really, it, it intrigues me and I, ha- I, I'm not always real articulate with it, but it's that that's occurring. But I think it's also that then, then that's the habit that our children are forming. And it's mm-hmm. this, you know, where, where is this a generation you know, as millennial parents, I feel like more aware than ever of our environmental impact. And, and yet we're unwinding a lot of things that we learned as children. And mm-hmm. I just keep wondering, like, what will they have to unwind? And if it's this, if it's the constant cycle of this 90% of their toys plastic before they're going into the garbage can or making mm-hmm. their way into the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, what habit is that forming? Um, and so that's, that's where the toy industry really, 
really has some work to do. And I think there's some really great companies who have pioneered that work. There's some handmade makers here in the United States who are who are changing the way families are thinking about it. But overwhelmingly, you go into any any store today and you mm-hmm. shop one of those aisles and it, you'd probably be hard pressed to find something wooden. Hmm. Yeah. You're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about little characters yes. having a little figurine and I don't, I guess I don't know what the alternative looks like. So my daughter just yeah. got some figurines and there's a specific show on Disney and, and then you're making me think of Disney and all the products that they produce. And it's like, what would, are we going to have little wooden figurines? Is that even possible to recreate all that? So I don't know. I feel like, I just think it seems daunting. I don't really know where I'm going with it. It just seems like, how do we even combat all this? And again, it wasn't that plastic is bad, but it's on this grand scale that we're seeing it. Yeah. And, and that's where I think it it can be, when we think of these big problems, it can feel super paralyzing. And I yeah certainly last summer, as we were thinking a lot about this business, it it kind of felt inevitable, right? We're This is kind of the inevitability of how it's going to work. We're going to fill up this closet with things that we need to donate or hand off or figure out if we need to throw them out or if they can be recycled. Mm-hmm. And and I think yet there are some little glimmers that, you know, you can hold on to and that people can hold on to. And we found some really, really cool uh, family run businesses here in the United States who are building a lot of those classic toys that have kind of become plasticized. Mm-hmm. They're rebuilding them wooden. And it's cool. it's just great. It's I mean, and, and it's those small we, we say this thing all the time and it's like small changes, big impacts. Yeah. Nobody should go into this thinking like I'm going to get all the plastic out of my playroom and I'm only going to have this minimal playroom because it's, it's the small stuff. It's like the small change. It's finding that one alternative, right? The, Mm -hmm. the one time you're able to purchase something that can last five generations and you do that, you know, your, your child's also seeing that. And it's, it's not the pursuit of perfection, but maybe those little small changes that over time can add up to a lot. Raising kids who value experiences over stuff requires an investment. I'm talking about an investment into your kids' imaginations, empowering them to expand their horizons anytime, anyplace. Go Kid Go is the audio imagination company for kids. It's created by an Emmy award-winning team. Go Kid Go's newest production, Bobby Wonder, is about a boy with superpowers. Voiced by Danny Pudi, Bobby Wonder will immerse your kids in brain-building adventures each week. Expand your kids' minds without spending money and without any screens. Visit GoKidGo.com or find Bobby Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. We often think it's the Pinterest perfect home that we want, but deep down what we really desire is to feel good in our home, to feel at peace, to feel comfortable, to feel calm, to feel purposeful, intentional, to spend quality time with our family, to do what we love, and to relax. We want to have more time. We want to yell less at our kids. We want to have less tension with our partner over the state of our home and all the tasks required to manage it. The key to this peaceful home isn't through cleaning more or organizing more. It's simply to ruthlessly declutter first and then add systems and routines in to run things smoothly. My friend Diana Renee is a self-proclaimed messy mom at heart who created a decluttering method that drastically and efficiently gets rid of excess while keeping what matters. She has a free training called Kiss Clutter Goodbye, the five simple steps to have a peaceful and decluttered home. And you're invited to get access to this free training at www.dianarenee.com slash minimalistmoms. Sure, pretty home is wonderful, but it isn't really about how it looks. It's about how it makes us feel. Grab your free training today. Well, that brings me to my next question, and it is in regards to toy gifting. And just 
maybe what are some tips that you have for parents and how to take just this power struggle out of gifting to just align more with our family values? Because like I said, my daughter just received some figurines while we were out of town that I would have not preferred, but moving forward, what would your advice be in circumstances like that? Yeah, we, we had a couple of our advisors, actually, we had a deep discussion about this and because I think it's universal, your kids get gifted something that you, you hate and and mm-hmm. maybe your kid likes it. Maybe they don't when they don't, it's easy, right? You kind of yeah. tuck it away after they go to bed and it, it finds its way somewhere else. But, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I got about this, you know, after you've really clearly defined your gifting values with your partner, with, you know, each other as a family Mm -hmm. um, is to bring up those conversations with your loved ones, not around the holidays. Like the worst time that you could bring this up with grandparents or in-laws is Mm -hmm. right before Christmas or right before your child's birthday. It's, Mm -hmm. it's almost because, you know, emotions are high and, and, and that just, it can feel really reactive. And so the advice I was given, which I love is start the conversation completely off cycle, start at June one, you know, and say, this is, this is how we're thinking about gifting moving forward. And we, you know, centering it in gratitude. We are so grateful and we don't want to steal the joy from this and mm-hmm. allow the joy, even when it's not what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece of advice that I got, which I thought was such a nice nudge because as our kids are young, People are always asking what their sizes are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a mom tell me that she had built a spreadsheet in Google Sheets that she'd shared with her core family. And in that spreadsheet, she kept up to date her children's sizes, mm-hmm. but she also kept up to date um, interests, you know. So, you know, you could say, My child's really interested in arts and crafts right now, and mm-hmm. we're low on paint or we're low mm-hmm. on fun paintbrushes that she could use. Or, um, and I love both of those suggestions. Bring it up at a neutral time. And, you know, give the nudges, some of the the guidance that can help them purchase and and give with joy, something that's also going to be really welcome in your house. I have a thought and I'm probably going to cut out. I might, I'll I'll get your opinion on this. I might edit this out, but I do think that children these days, school-age children are probably being taught a lot more about the environment and changes we can make to better what we're doing, our own habits and how we can protect. And so would you say that that's accurate? I agree. Yeah. My daughter told me the other day, she was brushing her teeth, turn the water off. We've got to save the water for the fishes. And I'm like, where'd you learn that? It must've happened at school. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I guess I don't want, I think people can instill fear in children with this. And I don't want to paralyze my children with thinking that the world is going to be over in 10 years. I don't think that benefits anyone when you come from a doomsday perspective, but I guess my, my pro with all of that is that they are learning. And I think this generation is going to be more conscientious of their decision-making, which is really exciting. I think that's growth right there. Like how do we combat the over plastic? How, what was the word that you use? Like having too much plastic. <laughs> yes. What was the word you use? Plasticized, which yeah. I made up. Not sure if that's real. I love it. I love it. But I think that this is it. I think that we have started to instill that idea in people, but I don't want to do it to a detriment. I think that's my fear in wanting to protect innocence and still allow for understanding. I, I think that paralyzing fear is not good for anyone. So I don't, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really like that. And we, I, I think of that in like so many times we're telling our children don't, you know, mm-hmm. like don't, don't, don't. Um, and, and when it comes to things like this, it kind of feels like the same thing. Like don't, don't buy plastic. Don't, 
you know, don't throw that away. Don't do all of these things as opposed to what are the do's that can be mm-hmm. um, positive and proactive because as much as this is maybe our gen- one of our one of our generation's major crises that we have to face, it's one that I think can be done with a lot of hope and positivity and doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, you know, that we don't have to have them grow up too quickly and and feel like they're trying, they have to solve every world's problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's some small ways they can be included in the do's. And some of that, I, I had a, another parent um, talk about one of the things they believe is helping instill sustainability in their child is just learning gardening and learn, you know, nature walks. And, and that can be, that can be your environmental action for the day is that, you know, you, you went on a nature walk and observed what was around you. Just that mm-hmm. awareness is maybe all our kids need right now is an awareness of the world around them mm-hmm. that is real and concrete and connected and interwoven. And that, that might be the work of us as, as with young, young children. And, you yeah. know, obviously as our children are older, our middle school and high school age children, it may become more of the, the negative consequence side of, of actions, but I agree with you. And I, I just, I find too that your motivation to continue doing those things goes goes up astronomically when you're when you're thinking of it from your place of passion. A hundred percent. I think they see us making those changes. So for example, they'll see us recycling, but also if there's something that's closer to our house, oftentimes my husband husband and I will say, let's just walk there. Like we don't necessarily yes. need to waste the gas to drive some to something that's a mile away. So we walk a lot or just having respect for the environments that they're trying to cultivate here in Columbus at some of the nature parks. It's like, we don't run in there. Do you see the sign? They're trying to protect this environment. I'm trying to think I had another example, but they are noticing these things. And I think just even pointing them out in just those little ways is so helpful for them to create those habits as they grow into teenagers and young adults, and then prioritize that with their kids. And I think that it all just keeps getting better and better. And that's how like, it's kind of like the snowball effect with debt. Like, the snowball is just going to keep going and going, you know? Totally. I love that. I really do. I love those examples. Well, Rachel, this was a wonderful conversation. I'm really honestly more motivated again, just listening and having this conversation with you. I feel like it, it's kind of nice to talk this out with people and just get encouragement. So I appreciate that. But where can listeners find you if they want to connect? You can find us at www.tinyearth.co or on Instagram at tinyearthtoys to learn more about our educational toy subscription rentals. Perfect. Well, we are going to wrap up this conversation with two new questions that I'm asking every guest. And the first is, what is something that's dear to you that you could never part ways with? So for example, for me, it's my daughter's first ballet leotard, but what is your answer? Yeah, it's a it's a sentimental one for me for sure. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, I had my baby shower postponed. It was postponed by about two months. First, there was like a, a snowstorm and then scheduling conflicts. And in that amount of time, my very beloved grandmother passed away and I was able to be with her as she passed. She was able to say to my daughter through my belly, I love you so much, baby. Um, but when the baby shower did occur, uh, fast forward, you know, two months later, uh, as I was opening gifts, I saw a handwriting that was unmistakable. It was my grandmother's mm-hmm. and the hostess mm-hmm. had told me that she had been holding the gifts from the baby shower, um, that was, you know, scheduled previously scheduled two months wow. ago. And I, um, you know, I, I had this moment where I got to relive and rehear her voice through the card that she had sent. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was a baby blanket for my daughter and it was this beautiful handmade, um, blanket so soft that she had sent, you know, just a couple of weeks before she, 
rather quickly and unexpectedly passed. And so mm-hmm. it has the significance of my child's first blanket that I think we all kind of love their, their real blanket. And, and this, this other um, real meaning for me of this moment, I had to cherish this relationship and, and get a moment to kind of revisit it during, during my baby shower, which was really special. Yeah, that is a really special story. I feel like most people are probably going to answer something sentimental for this question, but I just wanted to hear the stories. I'm looking at you through the Zoom and you're like lighting up telling the story. So that is really special. Well, somewhat switching gears. My last question is what is an area that you struggle to keep minimal? It's my underwear and sock drawer and I hate (laughs) it. And it seems something that would be so easy to make minimal, right? It's a small space. It's super small. But for whatever reason, I have a million pairs of socks. They get mismatched and then I don't want to throw them away. I'm like, hey, I'm going to find that other match at some point. Or I have just underwear that needs to get, definitely needs to get thrown out or removed. Um, But I swear, no matter how often I clear that thing out and get it looking really good, it, it ends up this just dumping ground. I hate it. That is so funny. Rachel, thank you so much again for all of your insight. And I love, I appreciate the statistics. I'm always really motivated by statistics and facts. So I appreciate you bringing that insight to the conversation as well. Absolutely. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. What did you think of this interview? I really loved talking to Rachel. I felt like we really got along both during the recording and post recording, but I did want to share one thing. So I linked this article in the show notes for today, but I found some really interesting research here, and the research backs up this notion that parents should invest in activities over material goods, and I'm just going to read it here to you straight. Cornell University psychologist Thomas Gilovich found that people look back on experiences with more satisfaction than they do on their material purchases. He discovered that people thinking about impending experiential purchases, such as ski passes or concert tickets, have higher levels of happiness than those who anticipate spending money on things. So I know this doesn't have to do exactly with children, but I think that it goes to show that we put, maybe we put so much emphasis on giving our kids these toys. And it it is hard because it it is so countercultural to not fill up the playroom with a bunch of toys. But if we're seeing that adults are more excited about these experiential purchases versus the things that they're receiving. I don't know. I think that that's something to take into the way that we parent and just what we're prioritizing. So again, I have included this link in the show notes for you. If you want to read through the article, it's from psychology today, but I'd love to know your thoughts and I'd love to know your thoughts on just changing the intro up a bit. I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalismomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.